1: To get started visit plushcare.com slash weight loss that's plushcare.com slash weight loss
2: hello everyone welcome to another brand new episode of ESL talk. Just like to start at the top of the episode with some really great news about the podcast, we now officially are getting 10,000 listeners every month, which is a fantastic achievement. I'm really proud. Um, and I did share this news with Faye and she also just wanted to share with everyone that she's really happy also to see how far we've come. And she does miss being on the podcast a lot. Um, and she also wanted to say a, a big thank you to everyone who reached out and contributed to the GoFundMe. Um, it really helped her and her family a lot, and she does hope to be back with us soon. So that's a great way to start off the episode on a really high and positive note. So thank you all so much for that support. Uh, We couldn't have done it without you and 10,000 is an amazing number. So let's keep it moving and let's keep growing as we go on through the rest of the season and through the future episodes. Last week, our episode was all about working in underserved markets and transferring skills. And our guest, Tegan, shared some really valuable insights into that topic. So thank you again for all the listens, all the feedback, all the likes and all the comments. Um, you can, as always, join in the discussion on Instagram at ESL Talk Podcast. You can also send us an email uh, to ESL Talk at gmail.com. And you can also check out our website where you can see all of our episodes, and uh, listen to all of our episodes even uh, for free just by going to esl-talk.com. So everything is on there for you. All right, what are we going to be looking at in today's episode? We're actually going to be discussing uh, quite an interesting topic, especially for new teachers and maybe those teachers who've only been um, in the market or have only been teaching ESL for a short amount of time. We're going to be talking about fears and competition in the ESL industry. And we have a special guest, um, Idina, who's joining us today, and she's going to share her experience of moving to Canada as a new teacher, as an ESL teacher, and how she kind of fit into that environment, how she navigated some challenges as a non-native speaker and how she actually was able to be successful in this market, in this field, and to do great work and to really impact the lives of her students, even though she is not a native English speaker or teacher. And this is something we've talked about so many times um, on our episodes, it doesn't really matter if you're a native speaker or not. It is about how you know how you show your skills, your passion, your enthusiasm. Um, you know how you train and how you educate yourself. So there's lots of different ways you can be effective teachers. Um, I know students sometimes have this perception that it's about where you're from in terms of language or in terms of you know exposure or experience or where you grew up. But we know that's really not the case anymore. Um, and these perceptions are changing a lot, especially in countries like Canada, which you know is essentially a nation of immigrants um, to a large extent, where we have lots of teachers who were born or grew up in other countries or maybe spent time in other countries like myself, like our guest Idina. Um, so we're going to actually get into that discussion. We're going to learn quite a lot about it. And she's going to share how she moved from her home country of Kyrgyzstan to Canada to study to pursue teaching as a career and how she flourished and now she's doing fantastic work um, as a teacher, as an online teacher as well. Um, She has a great presence on Instagram, so we'll hear all about that as well. So we'll get into the interview in just a moment, but before we do, don't forget to check out our partner, uh, esl-curriculum.com, which is crystal clear ESL, where you can get access to over 500 plus um, lessons, materials, So many great activities for all levels for all ages um, across all different types of English teaching. So if you're if you teach young children, we have you covered. If you teach speaking, writing, IELTS. Business English, there's so many great lessons there, just ready to go. Just sign up, log in, and you have access to those lessons. And you can also get a free two-week trial as well, simply by signing up. So just go to the website, esl-curriculum.com, and you can access those materials, have a look at them, start saving some time planning, start saving some stress, and have access to really high-quality materials that are going to take your teaching to the next level. So let's get into our interview today with Idina and let's hear all about fears and competition in the ESL industry.
1: I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me.
0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites.
2: right all right hi Idina welcome it's great to have you on the podcast today
3: hi Danielle. thank you for inviting me here
2: yeah I'm really I'm really happy that you uh, took some time out of your day to join us because I know you have a lot you can share with our listeners Um, so Idina would you be kind enough to let our listeners know a little bit about you um, and your journey as a teacher
3: sure so yeah my name is Idina and I came to Canada in 2019 Uh, I started teaching when I was 19 years old, I believe. I did some tutoring at the university library back then. And at that time, I didn't, I had no idea that this would be something that I would be doing for a living. I thought it's just a hobby. And then uh, because my major was international journalism, I did journalism. And uh, only in nine years, I realized that teaching English is actually something I wanted to do. And I returned to that profession. And I guess that's how I became a teacher.
2: That's really cool. And it's really nice to know that you pursued that because a lot of our listeners, you know, they, they do other things. And we've been talking about, the, about that the last few weeks. So it's really nice to to hear that you pursued that passion like a lot of us did. Um, so for you, you know, coming from a non a non-English speaking country and and becoming a teacher as a non-native teacher. What were some of the fears that you faced and some of the, you know, some of the issues that you might've first um, experienced when entering the industry?
3: Well, obviously my biggest fear was that my English wasn't good enough. My accent will not allow my students to understand me. And of course the competition, because I knew that there are so many native speakers in Canada who are teachers and, um, but yeah, those were my biggest fears. And uh, like in general, I didn't know what to expect. But what I knew for sure was that I didn't want to become anyone else here in Canada, but a teacher.
2: That's great. So how did you overcome those fears? And how did you develop that confidence that you that you needed?
3: Uh, you know, they say learn by doing. I, I guess that's what I did. I just started doing it. And I uh, Like I knew that I would be afraid and I thought it's okay to be afraid. Like everything is new. I'm a new immigrant and I'm teaching English while a lot of people who are immigrants, they are afraid of even speaking English. Mm -hmm. So I allowed myself to be afraid. I knew that, you know, my uh, heart was beating out of my chest in my first class, but I said, okay, let's just go through it and let's accept it. And in two or three weeks, it just became a habit to to teach English, you know, and I think that's the easiest way, just embrace it.
2: Exactly, I think that's great advice. Even, you know, even the most experienced teachers who might be native speakers they, they still feel this imposter syndrome I, I hear it all the time with teachers that i talk to oh am i good enough uh, can i teach well um, these are all legitimate fears that everyone has i think but i think it ties into what you said about competition so you know, you've been teaching for the last three or four years now um, in canada so how has competition in the csl industry how has it evolved since you started teaching
3: well um well three to four years maybe this is the too short period of time to kind of see this growth but if i compare it to what was happening like 10 years ago it's definitely the competition is really cutthroat nowadays i believe seems like everybody wants to be an english teacher honestly and um, you definitely need to stand out you need to have your own teaching style that would be attractive to your students that would show that you are different, maybe better. Uh, But you know, it's actually good that the competition uh, that we have it, because that means that every teacher needs to kind of work hard to be good. And that provides like a better quality of education.
2: That's, yeah, that's a great point. Um, A lot of us, you know, think, well, if we don't keep upskilling and improving our knowledge and training and, and developing our skills, then maybe we'll get left behind and, you know, and education is adapting all the time and ESL is adapting all the time and you know we've had lots of conversations about this as well so what can teachers do specifically to stay competitive or what are some of the things you've done to stay competitive in this field
3: well first of all it should be like an ongoing uh, teaching development I mean professional development you need to attend different types of uh, like educative sessions and programs um, That's what I did. For example, I didn't really need um, IELTS teaching, any IELTS teaching certificate to teach IELTS. Like it's not it's not um, required. Right. But I did it just because I wanted to know some different ideas of how you can teach IELTS listening and IELTS writing. Mm -hmm. So I think that if you really love what you are doing, you will actually attend such um, classes just because you want to know how how other people do it.
2: Yeah, you, you want to kind of see it from the other side, from the other perspective. And, and you know, even for me as a native speaker, like one element of what I do is, is IELTS um, teaching and IELTS prep and and students ask me, like, why did you take the test? You don't need to. But I'm like, well, how can I understand your challenges and your difficulties if I haven't been through that process myself. So I think that's really important as well to think about that, um, Idina. So um, when you made that transition, so you said, you know, you started off just kind of doing it casually in the library and then you were like, okay, I want to do this professionally and I want to do this full time. How did you make that transition and what were the challenges that you found when you were making that transition?
3: Well, first of all, um, we, well, in some Okay, actually, in a lot of EFL schools, you're allowed to use your first language in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, it's actually encouraged. Uh, when I did my master's program at U of T, we were told that uh, the more languages, the better. Like, if you share the same first language with your students, it's actually an asset.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And um, even though I worked at the at an EFL school where we had the English-only policy, I still could use Russian when it was necessary. Here, I cannot do it because my students are usually non-Russian speakers. And um, sometimes I have really low-level students with whom I need to use gestures. I need to be very creative, especially when you explain some vocabulary that... It would be very easy just to say it, but you really need to kind of find some other ways. So that yes. was challenging. <clears throat> so yeah, the transition wasn't so easy, but at the same time, you know, in terms of uh, methodology and everything, it's pretty much the same.
2: Yeah, I, I would say so. I, again, I think for us, um, particularly, you know, being in Canada and teaching in Canada, there's some different needs that we have to adapt to because we have a very wide and very diverse student population. So Perhaps um, for teachers in general who are teaching ESL, how can they adapt their teaching style to meet the needs of their students? Because a lot of ESL teachers who teach online, for example, they have teachers from many different countries. So um, what are some ways they could maybe adapt their style to meet those needs?
3: Well, uh, I think that First of all, you need to start doing it and you will figure it out. Because when I was starting, I was thought like I know nothing about ESL teaching. I only know EFL. But then it turns out that you kind of go with the flow and you see what your students actually need. And especially when you you mentioned Canada is a multicultural country. Absolutely. And I had students from all over the world and they have like different learning habits, right? For example, if we talk about Asian students, then they tend to be. Uh, shy, they don't want to speak a lot, you really have to encourage them to speak. Uh, They are afraid of making mistakes, while, for example, students from Europe, they are actually really willing to talk. Sometimes you need to kind of limit it a little to, to allow other students to participate as well. So you need to balance between such students, and this is challenging, and I don't find like right words to describe like how I do it. It's just something that comes when you do it.
2: Yeah. I think you learn through doing and you learn from making mistakes and, you know, as I have mentioned in many episodes, um, you know, when I first started teaching, I was just kind of thrown in a room after two weeks training and here you go. And I had my Tafel certificate and I thought, I can do this. And then after a week, I thought, maybe I can't do this. But then after a, after a few more weeks, I was like, maybe I can do this. So, yeah, I agree. Um, so a real hot topic at the moment, Idina, is about technology. And people are talking about things like ChatGPT and those kinds of um, tools at the moment, especially. <laughs> so what role does technology play for you in your teaching approach and your teaching methodology? And, and how do you implement and use technology with your students?
3: Well, first thing I need to admit is that I'm not I find it's really overwhelming that we have so many different apps nowadays. Mm-hmm. Like it's really difficult to pick one and just use it because right. one school requires this another school wants that. And even students, they have different favorite apps and you kind of need to adjust. So, um, But anyways, if you pick like two or three of your favorite ones and you kind of teach your students to use them first, um, it's a very good like way to to teach in general, because if you compare uh, like ESL teaching, let's say 10 years ago, nowadays we have much more tools and you save time. So instead of wasting like 20 minutes on writing and everything and all this paper stuff, you can focus more on speaking. So in terms of grammar, you can easily give like an online multiple choice question quiz and that mm-hmm. would take students only five minutes. And then you can spend the rest of the time on actually using this grammar. So I think it's a it's great advancement and it's really cool that we have this technology nowadays for teaching. Yeah,
2: I think so. And, and would you agree maybe the attention span of our students is, is lower than it was when we first started teaching and <laughs> we have to constantly try to keep them moving? Would you say that's something you've experienced?
3: Well, yes, it actually depends on the age of your students. If we talk mm-hmm. about like younger learners, yes, definitely. And especially if we talk about like public system, um, you, you never know what your students are doing with, with their laptop, right? Maybe they are doing the test <laughs> or studying, or maybe they are playing some games. In right. terms of that, it's really challenging.
2: That is true. That is true. So let's think a little bit about culture. Um, you know, obviously, for you coming to Canada, you know, you came from a very different culture to Canada, and your students as well. They generally come from very different cultures to Canada as well. And maybe when you start teaching, students expect, oh, I'm going to have a Canadian teacher who is from Canada or grew up in Canada, and that's not the case for a lot of students and for a lot of teachers, especially in my experience. So. How do those cultural differences impact your teaching and your approach in the classroom when you're teaching?
3: Yeah, that's a very good question, because that that was one of my fears as well. I forgot to mention it. I thought that Mm -hmm. students only want native speakers, those who were born in Canada. And I really had this anxiety. Like if they ask me, well, when did you arrive to Canada? And I say, well, it's just three months ago. They will think. What can you teach us? You know, I had all these scenarios in my head. But then it turns out that they are actually very curious about my culture. And that was so nice because we could share stories, again, in English. And that's another way to get your students talking. Mm -hmm. Um, In general, again, I find a lot of students in Canada really like culture friendly, if I can say this way they really want to learn more about other people and it doesn't matter whether it's their classmate or a teacher Mm -hmm. so yeah and uh, sometimes uh i could find some job ads uh, which say that they only need somebody who was born in canada native speaker only um i remember once i had a job well not a job interview but on linkedin somebody from an esl school was writing something like um So we need ESL teachers for some Korean ESL schools, I think. And then everything went well. Like I answered all their questions. And then in the end, they asked me, "Uh, where were you born? (laughs) That was such a weird question. But at that moment, I was very new here. I didn't know that people actually have no right to ask you such things. And I told them, honestly, from Kyrgyzstan, because there is nothing to be ashamed of. Mm -hmm. And she just... She didn't even say goodbye, like she just disappeared.
2: That's that's really shocking, honestly. Yeah. And this this is still happening and this kind of, um, you know, this kind of practices still exist. Um, and this, you know, luckily I would say, not totally, but luckily in places like Canada, it's not as much of an issue and there is a lot more inclusivity. But, you know, going back to what you just said a minute ago, um, even when I meet my students, you know, I say, I'm, I'm not from Canada, why would you, you know, and, and they're kind of, they can't really, you know, understand that at first which is kind of alien to them but you know Canada as a country is very diverse it you know that's very um, it's a very young country in terms of population and demographics and that kind of thing so i would definitely say that try to embrace those differences and those positives. You know, I, I'll, I'll always try to bring in little things about the differences, the little differences between the UK and Canada, because there are quite a few little differences, um, pronunciation, accent, those kinds of things. So it, I think that's really important. And, and like you said, embrace it and be proud of, you know, your background, your, your characteristics, who you are, because students connect with that and that helps build um, build that uh, trust and build that positive environment. So. Tell me, um, Idina, what strategies can teachers use to create positive and an inclusive environment for students? What are some of the things that you've done to do this, to create this?
3: Well, one thing I learned recently, again, from my university uh, program is that uh, schools should be language friendly. You know how teachers, they don't speak for example, Spanish or French in this classroom, mm-hmm. English only. So I learned that it's, it's bad. You need to, again, embrace their languages. They need to feel that it's a safe environment and they can speak their first languages, even if the teacher doesn't understand them. Uh, I mean, a lot of teachers are afraid of their students to talk something bad about them in their first language. Right, right. But I'll tell you what, like, they can do it after class. And they can do it a lot. So, what's the difference? I don't think that they are doing it right now. So, uh, you know, sometimes we have uh, students who have a better English level in the classroom and they can definitely help their peers Mm -hmm. to understand things if they speak the same language. I think it's actually a great help to a teacher. Uh, It's one thing. Another thing is just to tell your students that it's okay to ask questions and not to know everything and uh, that questions are actually welcomed. I always tell my students, if you ask questions, at least I know that you're following me. Because if there are no questions at all, it means you either understood everything, which is rare, or you didn't understand anything.
2: Right, right. (laughs) Yeah, that's really true. I like what you said um, about embracing other languages. And what's actually funny is, you know, I, I can speak some languages, not fluently, but I have knowledge of some languages from speaking to my students, learning from them, you know, asking them questions. So now I reach a stage where if students are saying some things, I might actually pick up on that and be like, oh, you're talking about this, or you're talking about that. <laughs> or, you know, because my background is in linguistics, I can sometimes actually understand the context without necessarily knowing the vocabulary or the words. So you can actually use it as a positive for sure. And and I'm sure you've done that as well, Idina, and it can be a really powerful way to connect with your learners as well. So um, for you, maybe in a classroom environment, because obviously I know you've taught online and you've taught in the classroom as well. How do you balance the needs of individual students with the overall class dynamic? Because I think this is a fear that a lot of teachers have. What if some students are lower level or not at the same level, or they're just not following? How would you balance that? Um, what, what's your advice?
3: Yeah, this is really tricky because in every classroom we have somebody who's like really not following and somebody who is more advanced and they feel even bored. So first of all, I always prepare some exercises for like fast finishers. In case they finish activity faster than the others, I can always give them this activity. And you should always remember that you are you have You can move in your classroom. You can always come to specific students and ask Mm -hmm. if they need any help or come to those who seem to be bored and ask if they would like to do some additional activities. But, of course, I always pay uh, special attention to the students who are not not there, let's say, because I remember, you know, in the Soviet Union teaching style, Um, those who were, let's say, weaker, they were neglected. Like if I did, I didn't understand math at school. And then my teacher would just ignore this fact. 95% of the students had no idea what was happening in the class. And she preferred not to pay attention to that. Only those who were good at math got the teacher's attention and additional explanation. While, in fact, they already knew it. And that's so unfair. So I'm trying not to do the same in my classroom, I always pay attention to those who who need it, and I always can come to them and say, "Maybe you need some help." Let me see what you're doing, because a lot of students, especially like an Asian students, they are shy to uh, to ask for help. And if you ask them, "Do you need help?" they will they will say, "No, it's okay." Well, they desperately need this help. So maybe just make it like a tradition that in every class you come to some students and it can be anybody even those stronger students so that weaker students don't feel that they're weak and to to just to do some activities with them together and say like i'm just monitoring your work it's a regular thing that's it
2: no that's that's great advice um and this is something that that all teachers should do it's a bit more difficult in an online um, environment but if you do have small groups of four four or five students regularly you know take a little bit of time to ask more questions, um, scaffold some activities more than for others. So you can do it in a subtle way for sure. Um, but I think that's that's a really good approach to make sure that everyone feels valued. And that, and then eventually what generally happens, as we know, is that people do start to ask you more once they feel that they are being supported. And, and that's really, really. Yeah. Key. So this is a question I, I really wanted to ask you today. Um, so a lot of teachers who who listen to this podcast, you know, they, they, they reach out and they say, you know, I, I want to teach, but have this, you know, I'm, I'm from this country, or I want to teach, but I don't have this yet, or I can't do this yet, or I'm not ready to do this yet. So a lot of fears and, you know, imposter syndrome, like we mentioned. So, um, you know, you've kind of, you've kind of been through that journey and you, you've been a success in that journey as well, Idina. So what are some common misconceptions that new teachers might have about teaching ESL? And how can we address them? or How can we overcome them so that we have that confidence that we need?
3: well the first thing is that you need to remember that teachers are not supposed to know everything that's a common misconception and that brings a lot of fear again uh, you can always tell your students if something if there is something that you don't know you can always tell them okay let's explore this together let's google search together show them that you are a live person and you are not a robot and you are not you are not a walking dictionary right Mm -hmm. so I don't know, I uh, so many times, that doesn't matter whether it's a native speaker or, an, or not, uh, everybody can get confused about certain words, you know, some t- terminology. Sure. So it's okay to to admit that you don't know. What you shouldn't do is lying. Because I noticed some teachers, if they don't know the translation of certain words, they just say whatever <laughs> they know. And no, in this case, I always tell them, honestly, I, honestly, I don't know. I have no idea. Let's Google search it. Mm-hmm. And another thing is... Um, just be yourself. You know, if you, you can't always pretend, let's say an average class is like two hours. You cannot pretend two hours long to be someone else. Cause then it's exhausting. And I think it's like a, it's like a snowball because in the sure. end you will be really tired and you will hate this occupation at the end of the day. So just, uh, embrace who you are. Again, we are repeating this word a lot. <laughs> and, uh, Just teach the way you you do, because if you have students who were happy with your teaching, that means you can can teach, you know something that your students don't. You just need to share this knowledge with them. And that's basically the main principle of teaching, right? Nothing more.
2: Yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, give your students what they need when they need it. You don't have to know all the answers. You don't have to know all the content, provided you can just give them what they need at that moment and work through it and you'll learn things as you go. And I think what you said is really powerful of, sometimes it's okay to say you don't know. Um, it was really difficult for me, you know, 10, 12 years ago to say, oh, actually that's my mistake. I got that wrong. I messed up. It happens We're human. Once you learn to kind of own that and, and be, be, be comfortable with that, it really helps. Um, and it really creates a much better environment with your students as well. So I'm really, um, really glad to hear that. That is, that's coming um, from you as well, from your side. So just finally, how can teachers continue to develop their skills? Um, how can they stay up to date with what's going on in, in ESL and in the field of, of English teaching? Um, again, what do you do to try to stay up to date and stay informed on, on everything? Well, uh,
3: first thing is, uh just following maybe other teachers on instagram that's what i do it's always i'm always curious about knowing like how other teachers teach mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that i need to copy what they are doing i just need like either some inspiration or maybe i can learn from their mistakes sometimes i clearly see that somebody's doing something wrong and i don't want to repeat the same uh error and mm-hmm. uh, yeah another thing is you know there are so many articles on the internet and they are free just read more i was surprised when i was doing my uh, master's of education program how many new like twenty, twenty-two year articles are there and they are so relatable to what we are doing it's not just some theories and boring academic stuff it's actually what you can read today and use tomorrow in your classroom so that's that's free, that's very affordable, and everybody can do it. And it doesn't matter where you are, uh, in Kyrgyzstan or in Canada, everybody can do it.
2: Yes, yes. I think the key message is, is you know, stay up to date, stay relevant with everything so that you can try new things. You can experiment with new things. You can, you know, build your school, uh, your skillset, build your tools for teaching, which is really key. Um, and even as a new teacher, like you can never know too much. It doesn't hurt to know more and to try new things and to learn more things as well. Um, and community I think is huge. You know, um, I I'm really glad that throughout all the different things I do, I've got a community of great colleagues and great teachers that I work with, um, and it's really great to learn from them and, and ask them questions too. Um, even for me, I'm, I'm still finding things out all the time. So um, Adina, I know you are quite active on Instagram. We have a really fantastic Instagram page that I know a lot of people Thank love. Um, so how can our listeners connect with you, and how can they maybe follow you on social media?
3: Okay, so yeah, my Instagram is the main place where I post my videos, tutoring and everything. It's idina.proenglish. And yeah, you can just follow me there. There are a lot of like tips and tricks. And yeah,
2: wonderful. I will um, put that in the description underneath the episode. So if anyone wants to follow um, Idina, they can do so. And I just want to say thank you so much for taking some time to join us and to share your experiences as a non-native teacher, talking about your fears and competition and how you overcame that. It's really inspiring.
3: Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure.
2: Wow. Another great guest and another great interview for ESL Talk. I hope you enjoyed that interview and I hope you really learned a lot from Idina who I think can be an inspiration and a a role model to many new or aspiring ESL teachers, Um, you know, moving to a new country or trying to teach online and start a business. It is definitely possible and it is something you're able to do. And if you do need any help or support with that, you can reach out to um, Idina. Um, You can find her at proenglish.ca, or you can find her on Instagram, and it's um, idina.proenglish. So those are the two ways you can connect with her um, through her website or on social media. And of course, you can also connect with us. We do get questions, and I'm always happy to answer them if possible. Um, You can email us at esltalkpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram at esltalkpodcast as well or you can just go to the website and go to esl-talk.com. That is the website address. If you'd like to be a guest on a future episode, we have lots and lots of requests, which is amazing. So thank you for requesting. Do keep that up. Um, And I'm reaching out to everyone at the moment to get you all involved and arrange times to meet with you. Um, We've got some really interesting and insightful episodes coming up, so do listen out for those. Um, So yeah, please just go to the website, esl-talk.com, click the be a guest button, just fill in a couple of details so I can get back to you and then schedule a time to interview you about the topic or topics that you're passionate about when it comes to English teaching or the English language. So that is it for this week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe for brand new episodes which drop every Wednesday. And we'll see you next week for another new episode of ESL Talk.
0: Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe for even more ESL teaching content.